What is up, guys? My name is Jordan, and I'm with my old man, Howie, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Jacobs Dynasty Sports Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show again. Uh, This is pretty exciting for us today because this is actually our first show where we're not going to be specifically focusing on like talking about an upcoming weekend of football or a recap of football. We're actually really excited because we're going to have our first guest outside of that genre. Um, it's a real exciting guest for us because this, this is somebody who, who's pretty well known in the sports card industry. Um, he's got a massive following on Instagram. Uh, I think people look look to this guy for advice on card purchases, on takes on where the market's going. He's definitely an expert in this area. Um, and for us, the thing that makes this even more exciting is that he's actually a friend of ours. He lives like five minutes away from us. So we get to see him in person. We get to talk cards in person. And God, I mean, I, th- I think I've known him probably since he was seven years old. Uh, without further ado, um, I want to introduce Adam Rips from uh, Rips Cards. Thank you, Howie and uh, Jordan. I'm excited to be here. Uh, yeah, definitely. I've, I've listened to the first couple episodes, some awesome football advice and uh, a lot of fun football talk. So I'm excited to talk about cards for a little bit. Great, Adam. We're happy to have you here. Yeah, we're very happy to have you. Thank you for joining us. Of course. So, so Adam, I think the first place to start is... Uh, it's probably something as your as your sort of reputation continues to grow, as your your collection continues to grow. This is probably a story you're going to be telling a lot over the course of your future. But um, I think the most obvious thing is tell us a little bit about how you got into cards um, and which players you decided to focus on right off the bat, um, and then we can go from there in terms of you know the story about your. Uh, your card career sure um it really all started with memorabilia more than anything else and i grew up an ohio state buckeye fan so i was buying you know designing my room with ohio state things and uh signed photos and jerseys and then i got into basketball a lot when i was you know seven eight nine years old and i started buying a lot of uh basketball memorabilia i have you know signed books full of signed photos even if it's like al jefferson or you know joe johnson uh and then as i really got into more of the hobby and the fun of of uh everything that has to do with basketball really led me to basketball cards which is especially you know seven eight years ago where a lot of the money was even though it's not nearly as much money as it is now uh i got a transfer from memorabilia into cards is you know that's where most was going on and uh i realized that there were a lot of people in that industry and so i started you know learning and buying about cards and uh when i was about 13 or so i I really realized that you know there were some good opportunities to invest with it and uh you know try and you know build up my collection a little more and so that's where it really took off where i just started diving in almost if it was like a new stock market and uh tried to make the best investments i could and it's really taken off from there now, did you when you first started identifying players um, whose cards you wanted to buy? Um, you know, what, what were the markets you you started to investigate those players? Um, you know, were, were you doing shows, going to card shows? Was it eBay? 
Um, was it talking to people in the industry? How did, how did you sort of like investigate where you wanted to start making that first splash and then decide to dive in on particular players? Um, I definitely, and most like most kids do, love going to card shows. And, and most adults do love going to card shows. And so even when I was when I was younger, I started going to them. I was also still just looking through like the signed photo bins. And uh, like I said, it quickly transitioned into cards. And going to the card shows was a lot of fun because it's a great way. Uh, you know, a lot of people who are in this industry know how, you know, the cards you have is just as important as the connections that you make and the, the people that you know. So I was able to, you know, when I was 10 years old, uh, go to these card dealers and, you know, just talk about cards and how I got into it. And they were always fascinated with, like, the younger kids there. And it was kind of a way for me to go back there every couple months. And they say, oh, how are you doing? They look at the new cards I have. Uh, and we just talk for a while. Even if we don't make a deal, I always like that aspect of it. Just guys who – and now I can go back to the shows at White Plains now. And then they're just amazed with, you know, these are guys who know me for seven years. Even if they only see me once or twice a year, it's still fun to catch up with them. And so that's that's a great part of it. And I also think that's a good motivating factor because when you go to a show, you kind of want people to look through your cards and be like, oh, like this, this, is, a, this is a great improvement. Uh, so I think it's, it's fun for me to go to these shows and um, just kind of see, you know, what these people have like seen a collection grow from. Uh, but when I really got into it, the card shows are definitely a lot of fun. Uh, I was looking through eBay and kind of comparing prices from each player, uh, just looking to see you know, why Andrew Wiggins is selling for so much, you know, right out of, uh, you know, when he's, when he's like still a high school recruit and um, compared to some of these today's guys. And so the market has changed tremendously because you can't get a guy in the first round, his national treasures card for under a thousand dollars. And that was never the, the way it was. So I think the approach of getting into the hobby back then is much different now, you know, base cards weren't that big of a thing. Um, but when investing, I definitely I wanted to go with who I thought was good because I've, I've, I've kind of been pretty intuitive with that. And I loved watching basketball and there were guys who I thought stuck out to me. Um, but also still looking at prices and making sure that someone's a, a feasible investment and uh, talking with some other people. Instagram wasn't as big. Um, and now I think it's a great asset to have for all these collectors getting into it to be able to talk with, you know, very reputable people, reputable people just online. Uh, it wasn't as as available as it is now, but it's it's always a fun thing to do. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Um, I know my dad and I, along with your 10,000 plus followers on Instagram, know that you're a huge Giannis Ananakumpo guy. You have tons of his cards. I know he's your main guy. Can yes. you talk to us a little bit about how you started um, investing in Giannis, why you started investing in the Giannis when you did? Because your collection is ridiculous. Thank you. My my honest collection definitely is much larger than I ever could have imagined and grown way, way more than I ever could have imagined. Uh, he was not, you know, he, he's he's not even a lottery pick. So to kind of even let's say like the 20th pick of this year's draft, the, the guys don't come out today as cheap as they did with Giannis. So someone like Giannis. If he was in the draft right now, there's no way his, you know, national treasures out of the gate would be $300. And so I didn't buy it at 300 I bought one at 1300 And, you know, that's now a six-figure card. Um, so I, I, I got into him because I was, 
I, I remember seeing him against the Knicks. I think his debut was against the Knicks, but that's not the game I was talking about. He's had some he had some crazy rookie highlights. And if you look back at it now, you would like see his rookie highlights and be like, huh, how cheap like why was he so cheap? Um but I, I looked at a bunch of videos of him playing. I really like the story behind him, the fact that he really didn't come from much, and that's always a, a driving factor for a player to um, you know, try to be the best he can. So I bought and I would I was uh the reason I kind of bought so much so early is because there was a small market for him, but that market would kind of, you know, want to pick up a bunch too. So I started off buying like ten dollar base prism cards and I probably bought eighty, ninety of them. And I would send them to Beckett because, you know, Beckett and, and PSA, we can get into that, but it wasn't as big of a gap back then. Um, so I would send them into Beckett, and I think it was like 20 bucks a card back then for a 10-day, and it was actually 10 days. And so you could have $10 into the card, 20 to grade, and then every single time I got those back, it would be like $85 for me. And I had a buyer who'd just be like, depending on subgrades, he's like 80, 80 to 100 bucks a card. So at that point, I was making, you know, pretty, pretty great profit, either two, three acting my money. And so I thought to myself, you know, if I'm making, if I'm able to make this money right now, and if I'm able to, you know, just use this profit to invest in more Giannis, like, what's the worst that could happen? Because you already know that there's a market out there for him. And uh, if I was just using profit to reinvest, then, you know, if, if something happens and that's not expected or um, he doesn't do as well as I thought he could have, it's not the biggest deal in the world. And so once his market just started trending upwards as he got more attention with most improved player, um, kept getting more and more attention in the market. Uh, so I thought it was a good way to just keep buying him because I didn't see much downside. And uh, I remember it was like Prism Silver, PSA 10 hit like $2,000. And now it's like over 30 grand. And I was so shocked and it was $2,000. I'm like, oh my, like, this is insane. Uh, I have to sell it. Like I have to sell everything I have. And I'm, I'm glad I held on to it because his market's just going crazy. No, it's definitely amazing when you talk about the way cards have changed and even the way that the the market currently is right now. Because, you know, for Jordan and I, you know, uh, Jordan had bought packs here and there over the last couple of years. And, you know, you, you go through the cards and he throws them in the drawer of his desk and stuff like that. And, and even for right. me, as I started to get more into them this this year... You know, I collected cards when I was like 11, 12, 13 years old. It was basically like the junk wax error. And I'd go to local card shows and they'd have like Daryl Strawberry there or Howard Johnson, who, who were New York Mets at the time. And it just it's just amazing to see what the industry's become and how many cards are out there. And even before we got on the phone with you, Jordan and I were talking about how like people will go to Target and Walmart and Walgreens and try to chase packs of cards and go to collector stores to buy packs and open them up in the in the hopes of getting that guy who right now is 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 the hot guy whether it's like a Joe Burrow or you know it could be an NBA rookie like Zion and, and John yep. Grant but it's amazing because what I think we've found as we've grown in this experience together is that you really have to have a plan I mean I see people on Instagram and Jordan and I talk about this all the time, friends of his, probably people who you know and what have you. I mean, people will just go in with money and not really have a plan as to how they want to approach buying cards or what they want to focus on. And at some level, that's fine if, you know, the money is expendable and you're not necessarily thinking about how much can you flip that card for. But at the end of the day, you could really spend a lot of money and end up with nothing if you don't have a process behind how you go about doing it. Right. It's really become like other types of investments out there. I mean, unless you're just doing it for fun and you don't care. 
I agree. And, you know, I think that's what we've seen a lot of is people who have money have, you know, heard that sports cards are booming or, you know, seen a Fox News article or a Forbes article and they just start buying sports cards, not really knowing exactly what they're doing. And so that's why I think we've maybe seen some some pretty big jumps in cards we didn't think would um, go up super, super high. And I do think that those people are going to be able to learn a bunch more because um, it, it's like I said, it's very easy to build relationships in this. And, you know, people are very open to DMing and uh, giving like helping each other out. So I think once those people who do have that money are able to kind of, you know, learn a little more about it, they'll, they'll begin to spend their money in different ways. And I think that's always a good thing. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, if, if people are getting into the hobby today, I understand why they may feel tempted to buy things fast and maybe overpay for a card. Maybe they don't think they're overpaying for. Um, but I do think that people will start to get more specific in their buying once they, once they learn more about it, just like anything else. Now, do you, do you have like an overall strategy that you're using at the current time in terms of how you approach the cards you want to buy, the players you want to target? Or is it more just fluid in terms of you're just keeping an eye on the market and trends in the market and then sort of deciding where you want to dive in on a case-by-case basis? Like what, what is sort of your overall strategy at this time? You know, through my collecting, my card collecting career, we'll call it, it's been kind of periodically where maybe I focus on, you know, with specific moderns, modern players or rookies. And then um, what if they hit or if their stuff goes up a lot, I would I would sell them and then get into safer cards. Um, so it's it's kind of on a base by base, um, you know, basis uh, right now. I don't the, the market has gone up so, so crazily high and, you know, a lot of the base stuff has been going down a little bit because of the bubble is, has ended. But now, you know, hopefully we're starting up again soon. Right now, I'm trying to be a little more conservative with what I'm spending my money on because of the uncertainty with the economy um, and, you know, where the where the economy is going or, or where it could be. Uh, but I think generally the card market's going to do really, really well. Uh, but specifically for myself, I don't. I always buy if the deal is there or if there's a player I'm, I'm high on, I'll buy him. There's no, I don't do like any type of specific budgeting per se, but I, I kind of want to know that um, if I spend this amount of money, I'll, I'll be, I'll be safe or I'll be, I'll be doing pretty well off no matter what happens. So that's kind of my thought process. Yeah, for sure. Um, looking ahead to the uh, 2021 NBA season, it's about to start up, I think, December 22nd. Do you have any guys, obviously the big names, Doncic, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Giannis, those guys are big money guys, but do you have any smaller end guys you recommend targeting as the season approaches? Yeah, I, I think a lot of people who, who are getting into the, the industry now or in the industry, you know, they're, they're budgeting, you know, obviously as Jordan mentioned, your, your card collection is sort of, it's like one of the preeminent card collections probably in the world, so you know, there are a lot of other people out there that are operating on a smaller scale. And if they are looking to put a plan together, they, they need to identify some of these younger players um, yes. who have upside that they can get at, you know, a cheaper price. Um, For example, like I bought um, in last December, I bought Tyler Harrow midway through the season for like a base rookie card for like $4, I think, on eBay. I sent it into PSA and when after his 37 point game against the Celtics in the playoffs... I sold it for around four hundred dollars, which was crazy. Right. Right. Yeah, for us that was that for us that was a, 
a huge return from our perspective. So with the, from any perspective, no, definitely. So you know, with the NBA season, like Jordan said, starting up, I think it's still up in the air. Either late December or January, they have to figure that yeah. out with the players' association. Are there any younger players you're still that are under the radar, so to speak, the guys that you might be focusing on a little bit? Or are you still like try, trying to obtain cards on the bigger names? Right. I think it's important to note, like you said, a two dollar purchase plus a you know a ten dollar grading fee could turn into a couple few hundred dollars, four hundred dollars, and so. I think it's important to know that not every car turns out like that and or not every player turns out like that. So when, you know, no matter who you're investing in, um, that's maybe not proven. Uh, it's tough to invest a ton, a ton, a ton of money in them. Um, like someone like Tyler Hero, if you bought a couple of National Treasures RPAs, you know, you're golden. But someone like Bull Bull, if you buy them and, you know, when they peaked for some reason, now you're looking at it like, you know, what was I doing? Uh and there's there's a bunch of players where you can you can see their values have you know gone down tremendously. So right now, what I've kind of been doing to prepare for the next year uh, are buying players that I think could do you know could do well and go up in value, but not too much of them if they're unproven. Uh, because the market has changed so much, I was able to buy a bunch of unproven Giannis, uh, you know, in 2014, 2015 because it wasn't as expensive. But now when someone like uh, a Siku Demboya or you know R.J. Barrett, their gold prism, their national treasures is a couple thousand dollars each, and that was that. That's hard to in, really invest and buy multiple cards of that when there's so much risk. Uh, and you know, if you have a ton of money and you want to buy a bunch of a specific player, then you could do it. Uh, but I think it's a good move, especially you know if you're on a lower budget or a mid end budget. And I have a bunch of these upstairs as well. Uh, but, you know, buying a, a couple autographs of, you know, a couple of rookies you think could do well and uh, or buying a couple of base prisms and sending them to PSA or even buying a couple PSA 9s or 10s or back in 9.5s. Uh, so that I wouldn't put all the eggs in one basket for guys who aren't proven. Uh, maybe a little while ago when I was starting up, I would have done it. But the way that, that everything is so expensive right now and the way that the market is so volatile, I, I would feel a little scared putting everything into to one or two players. So I've got a couple, you know, decent cards of guys who I think could boom or bust. Um, I think Siku's one of those guys who could have a really good year. And you've got to think of the guys who people are anticipating. People are anticipating the Cam Reddish to do well. Um, you know, the people like the Young Hawks, DeAndre Hunter, RJ Barrett's expect to have a good year. And I think those guys are all going to do pretty well. And I have a bunch of cards of them. But nothing to the point where, you know, let's say RJ Barrett has a terrible year or say, you know, Cam Reddish gets injured. Uh, there's nothing where I'd be ups like too upset card wise if it happened because I don't have too much invested, and uh, unless you're super super confident or super done a ton of research, I wouldn't you know recommend putting too much into each guy. Just you know kind of spread it out a little bit, diversify with the with the prospects investments. Okay, um, one thing I wanted to ask you is what what are your thoughts on buying uh, raw cards versus graded cards now? Um, I think when Jordan and I started to dig a little bit deeper into the hobby earlier this year, you know, we, we thought going with raw and getting them graded was the way to go. You know, our timing was good from that perspective, just or lucky from that perspective, because the cards that we did send out to get graded did appreciate nicely in price. Right. But and we got I them think, back very quickly, too. Yeah, no, that, that worked out well. We had like a six week turnaround on some cards we submitted to PSA. Um, but now... It seems that PSA is almost changing its perspective 
on the level of grades they're giving out to cards. I mean, we're seeing countless stories about people who are getting subs back and they're like, this card looks absolutely perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. And it's like a PSA eight or a PSA nine. Yes. It's actually sort of funny because, you know, I go to PSA's site a couple of times a week to look up things on their pop report or diff different things about cards. And, you know, they're constantly looking to hire graders. Come work for us. It's, it's on Instagram, it's on their site. And it's funny because everybody puts PSA on a pedestal as being this, you know, this this grading service which can really make or break you from the standard cards. But at the at the end of the day, it's not like they're not using machinery to grade cards. They're hiring people. I don't I don't know how much they're paying them, but right. they're training them on how to grade cards, and then they're giving them some guidelines on how to grade these cards. You know, I actually was saying to Jordan the last couple of days, I, I almost wonder if it. It doesn't make sense anymore to buy raw cards, you know, because at the end of the day, you may send in a raw card that you think looks absolutely perfect and you end up getting a PSA 8 back and you can't even sell it for what you put into it. So I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that and, and whether or not, you know, wh where you think um, the best way to go in terms of putting money into, into cards from the standpoint of going raw and trying to grade them, if, especially if you're not getting them from somebody you trust. You know, yeah. you know, on eBay, sometimes they don't have the best pictures um, versus just buying a card that's already graded where, where you know you're going to get what you pay for. Right. And the grading landscape has changed tremendously. If you're looking at prices or if you're looking at, you know, crazy turnaround times. Uh, and I think that all has a pretty huge impact on it. Uh, the, I think one of the problems with buying raw is that the incentive, you know, Let's, let's talk Tyler Hero for a second now. I think, and I'm talking like, you know, today's date, I think a base card is like $25, a base prism raw, and then a PSA 10, I want to say, is like probably $200, 250 um, you know, approximately. When you're buying raw cards, it's important to know that, you know, especially from, de from like dealers or group dealers, that if it was in perfect shape, they'd send it in themselves. Uh you know, no one's going to turn down a 10x profit by sending a card into grade. Uh, and especially like, right now, you know, no one's opening a box of, of Prism and just selling a Tyler Hero Raw. So I, I'd expect the cards raw to not be in perfect shape because if you're opening a $1,000 box of Prism, you're going to want to maximize on it and you're not just going to sell your Tyler Hero Perfect Condition Rookie um, for, for $20. So I, I feel like the Mac, the, you know, the profits that can be made when grading and the potential of a card, if it's in gem condition, has taken a lot away from the raw market because you know that you know people are going to try and maximize. And so maybe a raw card that, that you buy on eBay or if you buy a lot of 10, you know, they're not all going to be gems because they wouldn't be raw that way. Uh, and another important thing is that um, when you're buying a raw card, they usually go for a lot under a PSA 8, a PSA, I mean, a, a PSA 9. So even if you do send them in, it's, it's difficult because you want, you, you want to make sure that grades are going to be good enough if you send them in to make the profit back. And so PSAs upped their grading prices recently for a bulk, I think, from like with group subbers, like $10 to like $16, $17, and that's for like a four or five-month return. Uh, so with the amount of volatility in that, it's, it's you know, four months ago, the market was completely different. And in four months from now, I'm sure the market's going to be even more different. Uh, so it's it's a little difficult to kind of 
send a card in and then wait all that time and either see if your cards have appreciated or depreciated. And if your cards have come back with, you know, decent grades or not so great grades. Uh, so it's, it's more complicated to buy raw, but it also depends, you know, what kind of, what, what you're kind of looking for in a deal uh, or what you're looking for in a card. Rather, if you want it for your collection, then, you know, it probably makes more sense to buy raw. But if you want an investment where you want to flip it in a month or two months, then it probably makes more sense to buy a PSA nine or 10 because they're more liquid that way. And it's easier to get a, a baseline price. Uh, but especially with, with grading I, myself, I just had a th- almost 300 card sub come back and it was a 45 day bulk sub. I think it took four months to come back in, which isn't terrible, but you know, I had a, my, my gem rate on like prison basketball was like 30, 40%. But, you know, it's, it's not what you're looking for. Uh, but I think I had Michael Porter Jr.'s that I paid a couple dollars a card for base prisms. And now, you know, even a PSA 9 is like 60 bucks. So at that point, like, I'm kind of okay with it. But I was also grading a Luka Doncic select cards and, you know, Stephen Curry select base cards. Uh, and those are probably something I wouldn't send in now with a $16 grading fee as opposed to a $10 grading fee. Uh, so I think people are going to get more selective with, with what they send. And I think that's kind of what PSA wants. Yeah. Uh, because PSA kind of wants the, the consumer to think, well, I don't want to send in this card, uh, and I don't I don't want to send it in if it's going to possibly get a nine and it's going to cost me sixteen dollars to grade because it wouldn't be worth it. You know, I was grading Goga, Patad's Day, Silver Prism rookies, like stuff I would never usually grade, and I think that's been PSA's problem is because is that uh, the market's gone under such like tremendous waves lately that everyone's just sending everything that you know is Prism or is a rookie into PSA. And that never usually happens. So they're going under, you know, a crazy amount of submissions coming in every single day, thousands and thousands of cards, I'm sure. And I don't think they have the manpower for it. And so now they're kind of raising their prices and raising their their turnaround time. So people kind of send in less cards and they can catch up. That's kind of my thought process. Uh, and you mentioned about the graders. I have no idea what graders get paid. But, you know, right now, when you look at the money, General, I would think that generally graders would have a background in cards. Maybe they, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are a bunch of them that can be trained, but uh, I'm assuming that most people who are, have thought about being a card grader have some background in the, in the hobby and are, you know, pretty active in it. So Yeah, I would another, hope so, right? I mean. right? And another, like something interesting with that is when you see how much money, you know, full time, let's say you're in the hobby full time and, and you're really educated on it, you you're going to be, I would think that you're able to make more money than you would trading cards than being a, a grader. And I think that's interesting too, because, you know, maybe if a grader got paid more than a full-time card deal, card deal, then um, there, we'd see more graders. But I think that the, the people who are very knowledgeable about cards are seeing that they're able to make more money actually trading cards and it's more fun for them than it is to grade cards. So I think that that's an interesting thing and maybe why PSA is having some trouble getting those guys. Yeah, I think that's a very good point about, like you said, if you know the card market that well, you probably want to be trading cards and not grading <laughs> cards. I, I actually think the market's probably ripe for, for another grading agency to start off. I mean, if they had some capital behind them and, and uh, they had a strategic plan, you know, to, to, to sort of launch what they were going to accomplish – I mean, there's definitely more room in the market for another grading company. There's no reason PSA, you know, for all intents and purposes, should have a monopoly. I'm sure the president of PSA never anticipated that he would be uh, right. doing uh, videos about, uh, who is it, Kardashian? Oh, Rob, Rob Kardashian, because he pulled, yeah. I think, oh, 
Tua autograph and then a one of one Nebula Tom Brady. Which, which, they, which, they, which they which they like two hundred fifty grand, but it's nowhere close to that. But you know, it's the press. Yeah, uh, and, and, you know, and ironically, I, he got it graded in yeah, like two. He days. did a two day submission. I think it still got a ten though, which is crazy. Then, so I think like PSA is is starting to realize the you know even more so the attention that's coming their way, especially from like the the larger right. population, which we'll we'll touch on upon in a second. Um, one topic I wanted to just, just bring to the attention of the people listening and stuff like that, and it's something you and I touched upon the other day, um, is, you know, what sort of, uh, what drew, what took you down the path of investing in vintage cards? Uh, that's been a major play for you, um, as we've seen from your Instagram story this year in our discussions with you personally. And I, and I think it's a bigger lesson for, for people out there who are not only interested in getting involved in the card business, but that are investing in every anything in their life. It could be stocks, it could be real estate, it could be watches. Um, so it'd be interesting for you to talk a little bit about how you know you, you got steered towards vintage cards, you know, what, what was sort of your mindset when you were looking for another play beyond uh, sort yes. of the modern day players and uh, you know, like I said, I think that's an interesting story for anybody out there who's looking to invest in any type of asset. Right. Uh, I really got into vintage and, you know, the basis of every single market is supply and demand. And it really just does not apply as much right now to sports cards as it does to everything else. Uh, and I'm thinking that maybe it could catch up a little bit more as people, you know, start to educate a little bit more. Uh, but I was, you know, when I was in elementary school and middle school, I would do, you know, little projects and research projects on all these legends, these guys like Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell and Kareem, uh, whose rookie is Luel Cinder. But uh, as, as the market started trending up with modern cards, it seemed more and more evident that the vintage stuff had to catch up. And so, you know, when I was younger, I wasn't into this vintage stuff because the modern was so easy to, to flip and to buy and to invest in and the vintage attention wasn't there as much but as as the market just started to continue growing for this modern stuff and investments were like you know took a lot more money to get into it with some of these higher end cards uh it made so much more sense just to lean more towards vintage for the time being as the modern stuff just boomed so much and with all the volatility volatility and risk in it uh i decided to kind of hop into the vintage market because you know because Will Chamberlain isn't, you know, tearing an ACL or because, you know, uh, Bill Russell's not going to get traded from the Lakers to the Grizzlies. Uh, and I kind of hopped in at the right time. I think a lot of people were kind of cashing out recently within the last, you know, few months here. were cashing out on their crazy, you know, prism investments or their card going up 5x in the span of a couple months. So... I decided to sell and, you know, it was right, right when the season shut down in, in mid-March, late March, uh, whenever that was, I think it was late March. And I got really concerned because I would say 90% of my collection, 80, 80, 90% of my collection was all into modern players, uh, guys like Giannis, Trey Young, uh, you know, some LeBron, but you know, LeBron's as good as it gets, uh, so I had my money into these guys and I, I said, like, you know, what if the season doesn't come back this year? Um, you know, Trey Young isn't playing for another, you know, eight months now. What if Giannis doesn't play for another six months? And I was like, so and what's going to happen with the economy? 
you know, people with cards aren't going to spend money anymore because, you know, they have more important things to take care of. Uh, people aren't going to have as much, you know, income to spend on, on maybe things that aren't essential. And that's kind of the way I and, you know, many in the game thought it was heading. And I, I still want to sustain in cards. You know, thankfully, I don't have, you know, crazy bills to pay or, you know, a, a job that I depend on. Uh, or, you know, kids to take care of. So I wanted to stay in the card game, but I wanted to be a lot safer in that aspect. So I ended up selling a couple cards that I thought were not essential to me. Um, a couple Trey Youngs, a couple Giannis's, um, some J- like cards that I didn't want to hold long term as an investment. Uh, you know, guys like Jason Tatum. And, you know, looking back at this, the, these cards have all gone up tremendously, but, you know, I didn't know then. So I, I made a, a move I thought was smart by selling guys who I didn't think I was going to hold on to long term and putting it into cards that I was going to hold long term uh, that had a much safer, steady, steady stock. Uh, so I, I put my money into uh, several Will Chamberlain rookies, several Bill Russell rookies, um, Magic Bird Irving rookie cards, just because I knew that those cards weren't going to go down. And I really learned to love it. You know, it was, I kind of learned to love it after I, well, after I started getting into it because I saw how fun it was. Uh, because if you look up right now, Luka Doncic Prism PSA 10, you'll see hundreds and hundreds of them. And if you look at the PSA prop report, you'll see 14,000 of them. And if you look on eBay for Bill Russell, um, 1957 Topps rookie card, you'll find like two. Uh, and if you look at the pop report, you'll find a couple hundred and not, you know, several, many thousand. And I love how each player, I, I, what I really liked about it, this goes back to the supply and demand back with the pop reports and all of that is that. If you open a product today, you know, there's dozens and dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of products, and each product has dozens of each player's rookie card. So you can, there's probably, you know, hundreds of Zion Williamson variations and hundreds of Trey Young and Luca variations, but each player really had one key rookie card, you know, with, with these Tops and Fleer products back in the day. And so it becomes more iconic for them because there's less options to go to and it, it, it it's you know there's much less uh supply in the market so i, I bought a couple of will chamberlain rookie cards and then you know everything everything seemed to dry up because you know i think more modern collectors were kind of starting to transition to get safer stocks and then the market really dried up and the stuff just took a huge boom which i wasn't really expecting and i've held most of it through throughout it and uh, it's still up a lot it's a little down since you know that big boom of vintage because people have been starting to sell it, you know, people who thought I'm like, you know, my grandfather had this Will Chamberlain card and it's a PSA six and he gave it to me to hold on to. Um, or he, you know, he gave us to me and told me, you know, do what you want with it. Or it was, you know, father son collection. People are starting to say like, wow, this isn't a thousand dollar card anymore. This is selling for six grand. And you know, I think some people started to move it and now the market's down a little bit. Uh, but that's kind of how I got into vintage is just seeing the pop reports, you know, really go, going crazy with modern and not with uh, vintage and you know trey young has gone up 3x since he hasn't even played a single sing- a single game and uh I-, I just knew that that was bound to happen with some of the all-time greats who are, you know are much safer investments just like it would with a stock you know apple stock you know if-, if every small stock goes up 3x for you know almost no reason you would expect that amazon you know goes up as well so that's kind of what happened no, I, and like I said, um, when I was asking the question, I mean, it's just a lesson for, for all people in the card business out there, unless they just don't care. And it's a lesson that carries over to real life, because if, if you're going to put money into assets, you want to be diversified. Uh, that's why they have mutual funds out there. Uh, that's why they do securitizations. 
with you know part of that portfolio being riskier um, and part of it being more conservative. And like I said, I just find it fascinating because it does seem like the card industry as more money pours into it and more high profile people pour into it that people are starting to look at cards the way they would look at a traditional type of asset or stock portfolio. Yep. You know, for, for you to be doing that at 17 years old is just a tremendous amount of foresight, you know, going forward. Um, you know, I was going to bring up one thing just because I think it's something where Jordan and I have been putting a little bit of money into recently and we're hoping it mimics, you know, your move into vintage. Um, and, and that's sort of the professional wrestling world. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but um, there are, you know, people have been fans for a long time. Um, there's millions of people out there who have followed wrestling over time, and it's just something, there's not a lot of rated cards out there. Um, so sort of hoping people are going to focus there going forward. I, I know like it was just announced by Netflix that uh, Vince McMahon, they're going to be doing a documentary on him. He's the, the owner of the WWE yep. And um, I think they're spending more money on that documentary than they have on any other documentary they've done. And it does seem to be whether it's like The Last Dance with Michael Jordan or I even heard this morning when they did a 30 for 30 on Mike, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa on ESPN that there was a there was a, a an uptick in, in investing in Sammy Sosa cards. So it really seems like as cards move more into the mainstream, um, anytime there's a focus you know, from a television network or some type of documentary on a particular sports figure, it draws people's attentions. You know, we've certainly seen that with Pokemon recently as well. And another thing is the um, Undertaker's 30th year anniversary. Um, when he debuted at Survivor Series in 1990, they're posting so much stuff on the WWE Network with like his best matches, pay-per-views. And we recently bought two of his cars that are graded, I think, an 8.5 and a 9, which are like pop, like when you look at the Beckett population reports, there's maybe three of them in the world, yep. which is crazy. I think, you know, when people look to buy cards, or, you know, the, I think the reason why the the alternative investment of, of cards booming is, is happening is because, you know, it's the art of it, it's the nostalgia of it, and, you know, people, it it's... It's just incredible to see it. It's the the rarity of each of, of these cards. You know, people with with money, and I think you know a, lo a lot of times in, in different markets, the the money in it is what drives you know even the lower end stuff to go up. Uh, so you know, if if a Dwayne Wade or a, you know I meant to say Tyler Hero, if a Tyler Hero uh, National Treasures is going up, you know, so is his Hoops rookie, and so is his um, Prism base card, and. Um, I think that the money chases the rarity with it. So when you're looking at Undertaker cards and the nostalgia with it, you know, there are millions and millions of wrestling fans. And when they see that cards are becoming an alternative investment, they're going to want to put their money into something that they enjoy because it's, you know, one of the main tangible alternative investment assets. And it's, you know, just like that art. Um, so they're going to put their money into something that's, that's fun for them, but they also feels a, a good investment. And so something, someone like, you know, Undertaker, who's an all-time great, and that in a sport is, you know, definitely a viable investment. But if I were to say that 10 years ago, I would, you know, probably wouldn't have made much sense. Um, and I think it applies with the same thing that with wrestling applies with everything else, that if you're buying something and if, if people are spending money, it's, it's something that's fun for them. And, you know, 
you you guys are, are wrestling fans. How he grew up as a wrestling fan. So it's it's fun to hold an Undertaker rookie card as opposed to you know buying a share of you know two shares of Disney stock. I mean, it just I think people are starting to lean that way. You know, people are buying high end sports cards instead of you know a high end piece of art. And you know the gambling aspect of it, the nostalgia aspect of it, the rarity aspect. I think is all contributing to it. Uh, but the, the the nostalgia with cards right now. And, you know, the amount of money being poured into the industry is just pretty crazy. No, absolutely. And I, I think one of the things that that's so great with us having the opportunity to know you, Adam, and I can speak personally and Jordan can speak personally because we have known you for so long. Um, I, and listen, we have great stories. I, I remember, you know, um, going to NBA drafts with you and Jordan and some of the other kids that you guys are friends with. Um you know, going to the NBA All-Star Game in New York, I remember we went, got in like 2014. 2015, and, where we snuck downstairs with <laughs> fake passes and met. Well, well, that was the NBA draft. Oh, oh, they're talking about the All-Star Game. Yeah, well, oh, we oh, did oh. do that. We did. Oh. We went to NBA draft and, and, and we, we all snuck down with some fake passes. And and, I think we've met between... Cat. Yeah, we, between 2015 and I think two years ago, we met Carl Anthony Towns, Chris Tapps Porzingis... Michael Porter, Trey Young, we have pictures with them. It's just been crazy. No, absolutely. In the All-Star game when we went to the Players Hotel. Met Dirk. So, right. Along the idea of thinking outside the box, uh, <laughs> we went to the Players Hotel at like 6 a.m. in the morning on the Saturday before the NBA All-Star game. And Jordan and Adam just hung out in the lobby. We were literally the first ones there. And, and then Dirk. slowly but surely. And we'll never forget the first player we saw with the most miserable look on his face getting ready for the day was Clay Thompson at like 730 in the morning. You know, it's funny. I don't think I actually think Detlef Schrempf, who a lot of oh. listeners probably wouldn't even know. Um, he played for the Supersonics, I think, in the in the 80s or 90s was the first guy. But yeah, I mean, it was some great stuff. Yo, I always got such a kick out of watching your, your guys faces with the reaction to meeting these players and stuff. And it's just amazing to me that, you know, listen, obviously Jordan's on a gap year. He's going to Michigan next year. And, and Adam, how far you've come with card collecting and, and just as, as a developing as a person is fantastic. And, you know, when, when we asked you to be on the, on the show, um, you jokingly said, oh, I, I get a booking fee. And, and I have to say that there is no doubt in my mind that as your collection continues to grow and your reputation continues to grow, that uh, you're going to be a highly sought after person to share your knowledge on the card industry and and excited to see what other ventures life takes you. Um, and and like I said, I mean, I, I we only wish good things for you. One of the, the biggest positive traits you have is I, I personally feel you're so humble. Whenever Jordan reaches out to you to ask you questions, you answer the questions. When I reach out, listen, I'm a 47 year old man. When I reach out to ask you questions about the card business. You always make yourself available and, you know, I, I only hope, like you said, as your reputation grows and your, your popularity grows and, and in a couple of years, hopefully our podcast will have as we'll many followers. We'll be on followers. ESPN. We'll be yeah, on ESPN. Yeah, yeah, ESPN or, or maybe like Sirius XM's uh, Fantasy Football Now channel um, that when we reach out to your assistant to try to book you to come and speak with us again or maybe have you on your show, you'll be just as accommodating then as you are now for us. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I really appreciate it. And, you know, your kind words. I wanted to touch on uh, what we were talking about with the, you know, going to the draft and, you know, trying to meet all these players that we can and, you know, getting up early in the morning and driving to Manhattan. I think that, you know, really contributes to 
you know, and, you know, there are a ton of kids that do that or kids who, you know, get tickets at the lower bowl of the stadium and try and go by the tunnels and get these autographs. I think that's all about, you know, contributes to the nostalgia of the hobby. Like if when you meet Carl Anthony Towns or, you know, you see Dirk Nowitzki in person, you kind of, you know, trend towards becoming a fan of theirs and rooting for them. And it's also part of the hustle, you know, you don't, and it's an, I'm going to touch on this now because it's, I think it's very interesting. Now, when you look at getting up at seven in the morning and driving to Manhattan and, you know, trying to meet these players, it's, it, it doesn't feel like, you know, like work or, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fun and it's a pastime and it's a hobby. Uh, but it's also very, very enjoyable. And that's how I kind of view that this, this hobby, like I can spend the, you know, the time of a full-time job on it where I can get lost making a deal for two hours and then check the time. And I'm like, wow, it's like one thirty AM, but it, it just doesn't feel like, like a, like work or it doesn't feel like a job. And I think that same thing goes with, you know, going to meet players. It, you just look at the time. You're like, wow, it got so late. Like this was super fun. And, you know, there's no other hobby I can think of where, you know, there's that type of feeling. And that's what's, that's why it's so special to so many kids and with the amount of kids and, and adults that love sports and, you know, will do anything to, you know, cheer for their players or, or root for their team. It's just such a great, great way to, to get into it. Uh, and on, like, on that note, if you're a Knicks fan, you know, you don't have to, and, and you want to, like, you know, you think RJ Barrett's going to have an amazing year. You don't think that, like, okay, I'm going to bet on RJ for most improved player and, you know, probably lose, but you can just buy his prison rookie card. And, you know, even if he doesn't win most improved player, you can win big. And even if he, and his card would probably go up more than hitting a bet. Uh, so I think it's just, it's, it's interesting to point on that. You know, these kids and adults that are getting into it, you know, they love it and they like spending time on it. So it doesn't really feel like, uh, like doing a type, like doing work, even though it is. And it's, 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 it's such a great way to spend time and, you know, learn and, you know, invest all at the same time. Yeah. I highly suggest that if you guys are, like if you're living in North Carolina, the All Star Game comes in North Carolina. I recommend like waiting outside the players' hotel if yeah. you can with COVID. But like for example, we met Chris Bosh and got his autographs during All Star Weekend the day before he was diagnosed with blood clots. And it's like almost like you have a connection to him. Like you're like you're sad about it. It feels like you have a personal connection. Or whether I remember three years ago when Lonzo was getting drafted, we snuck upstairs inside a hotel. We met Lavar Ball. <laughs> and that's like you you almost want to root for Lonzo in the long run or LaMelo Ball who's supposed to be getting drafted this year. It adds to the fun. Yeah. yeah. I and certainly you, I, I certainly hope that Lonzo plays better since we bought like three of his base yeah. cards before the bubble. And hopefully LaMelo comes to New York. <laughs> no, I, I'm not sure I want LaMelo in New York to be honest with you. The, the draft, the, yeah, this draft class is going to be you know very interesting because there's no like one two punch like a Jaw Zion or you know, there's no Ben Simmons where everyone's just like knows who the first pick is going to be or knows who, you know, the top five is going to be. I think it's interesting, especially for the market. I'm sure Panini's still going to crank out their products and they're still going to sell. But uh, individual players, I mean, there's no Zion Williamson this year, I don't think. No, I, I think it'd be interesting following like what some of the stuff you were saying is if if somebody hones in on one or two guys who might be not necessarily that top 10 pick, but they could be like, the late teen pick or even in the 20s, I, I right. think you're going to have those guys this year that come out of nowhere and surprise people and start to develop. And for people who collect cards, 
if you're looking for upside, you got to try to identify who that guy is. I, I think this year, more so than in a long time, it's pretty much wide open who, who, who might be those players. And also the team they go to matters a lot because the Warriors this year have the second overall pick. And yeah. if, for example, if they get like an Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman, you can't really expect him to be getting the ball every time, especially when you got Curry, Clay, Draymond, or even like an Eric Pascal, who was great last year as a rookie. Right. And, you know, when you're investing in a player, especially, you know, early on, it's interesting because a guy who goes to the Warriors, that's a huge, huge market for a player. Uh, you guys look at Curry's market and you look at Clay's market and they're pretty strong. Uh, and, you know, Bay Area season ticket holders, you know, they have money. But then you also realize, you know, he's not going to get the most touches in the world because they have, you know, three, four other amazing players on that team and they're a deep team. Uh so I think this year is going to be very strange uh, because, you know, since the, the this huge card boom in Prism has gone crazy, there hasn't been, you know, a year where there's not like a, like a chaser card. Like everyone's going to be chased. Last year, everyone's chasing the Zion NTRPA, which is a $60,000 card. There's not going to be, you know, a huge card from from this year, I don't think. You know, there's going to be guys that whose base Prisms, Silvers, are going to go for a couple hundred bucks each with a PSA 10. But I don't think there's a three thousand, two thousand dollars Zion PSA ten silver out there for this year's class. So the products will still sell, uh, but it's going to be a different market for this year's rookie class. Yeah, even with I think Panini Contender just came out with their first edition of like the next season's cards with the rookies for this year, and you can obviously getting like an Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman is great, but no one's like. Oh my god! Like this is the best card. I need to get this card if I want to make like a lot of money. Yeah, I think what's going to be interesting about it is for like beginners and people who've just gotten in the market who, who again, as we said earlier, don't do their research. They're going to be chasing after some of these expensive packs and these players. And at the end of the day, the the smarter play if you're looking for modern cards might be to just stick stick with the guys who are out there already who have already had yep. a little bit of a track record you know or some of the young guys like a Devonte graham or like rui yeah. hachimori you mentioned who who maybe are going to be in a better position because they've got a new coach or a new gm who's gonna who's gonna try to build around that player or put a more stable system in place or maybe even like like adam mentioned like a siku like he has like the build and like the looks for like an nba star hopefully but he like you're just hoping on that he develops. Yeah, so. yeah. I was, I just had such a good thought in my head, but I lost it. So I'm I'm just hoping it comes back. But it's 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 tough to put all this money, all these these funds into people who. Oh, here's what my thought was. There we go. Um, these guys that were that we're seeing come into this year's draft, they didn't have a March Madness. Um, so you, you don't get to see that you know that you know pressure filled performance. Um, a lot of them didn't have seasons. Uh, LaMelo Ball didn't play a, a game in America. Uh, I mean, it's just the amount of info that we have on these guys compared to past years is, you know, not much at all. Someone like DiVincenzo or like Jalen Brunson who had amazing um, amazing tournaments, it's not going to be the same anymore. And I don't think they announced that there's not going to be a summer league either. So it's just kind of, it's, it's going to be a shot in the dark or a, with, with, with so many of these guys because we don't have any information on, you know, where to put our money or who to invest in unless you've done a ton of research on, like, uh, Denny, Denny something from, you know, Israel and uh, LaMelo Ball. These guys are overseas and some of these guys have much college. So it's, it's, it's tough to put all your money in 
into guys where you haven't been able to see much at all, especially in a, in a professional level. No, fa- sure. fantastic points, fantastic points. Well, Adam, listen, I mean, I think just because we know you so well and, and we talked to you about these things, we could probably go on for hours. I mean, we're looking here, we're over 50 minutes of talking and it feels like two minutes. I mean, it, that's the beauty of it. Every, everything you have, have to say has meaning and purpose and Thank we you. really appreciate it. Um, we're going to wind it down here. Again, just for the listeners out there, so many good things to take away from this discussion with Adam. Um, you know, collect what you love, you know, don't buy stuff just necessarily because you're looking to flip it because at the end of the day, if the value goes down, you're going to get upset about it at the end of the day, you know, put a plan in place before you put money into cards as to what you're hoping to achieve. You know, if you just love a player and you want his card, you know, then that's fine. But if, if, if you're actually hoping to use it as an investment, you, you, you got to be thoughtful and deliberate about the way you approach things. You know, we talked about these Undertaker cards. You know, for, for me to pick up an Undertaker card for $200 that I know that the pop is like, three. you know, three, it's like at the end of the day, if the Undertaker card goes down, I don't think it's ever going to go down to $50. But, you know, if it goes down to $100, I don't even care because I just think it's so cool that I now have an Undertaker card that is in really good condition. Um, so, so many interesting topics. Like I said, again, hopefully at some point in the future, we can have you on again. But before we, before we sign off, Adam, if you just want to tell people what your Instagram handle is and stuff like that and yep. whatever you want to talk about to promote whatever you're doing or, or wherever you're at in your career right now, feel free to go ahead and do it. Sure. Thank you. And just going off of quick what you love and buying what you love. Like, you know, I invest a lot into basketball cards and some of them are for investments and some of them for my collection. But uh, I just bought uh, a triple autograph of Meredith, Oscar and Creed from The Office. And, uh, you know, those are like the type of cards where even if you're buying, you know, serious basketball cards or, you know, you're investing in soccer cards or wrestling cards, there are tons of different ways to collect what you love at the same time, even if it's not... um, you know, not everything has to be what you love, but you, you kind of want to buy the majority of stuff that, you know, makes you happy when you have it in your hands. So I think that's a good point. And uh, I love my office autographs that just came out in Leaf uh, Pop Century 2020. Uh, you know, I think that's awesome. No, and absolutely. So my, cool. and, and that's that that card, a triple autograph of, you know, some like three of my favorite people from one of my favorite shows cost less than like a Trey Young base prism card. Uh so do I think it could be an investment? Possibly would I sell it? No. And I've gotten, I've gotten a couple of them. It just, you know, there, there's a lot of ways to diversify in, the, in this industry. If you, if you love dogs, they have like dog cards and Allen and Ginter. I mean, it's just such a wacky, so uh, cool. but it's all fun. Absolutely. Uh, so cool. my, my Instagram is at riffs cards, R I P P S cards. Uh, you know, that's really where I post the most. I interact with my followers the most, uh, Every couple of days, I try and look through my uh, my Instagram DM requests, and you know if it's during my break or something like that, I'm probably not responding the fastest. But if there's a question, I always try and get to it, or someone looking for advice or you know help on values. So feel free to DM me. Uh, I have my email in the in my profile if you feel more comfortable with that. But I'm, I'm most active on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well, but uh, I think Instagram is the best way to build a community and interact with people. You know super super easy platform to use and it's a great way to you know share the cards i have and also share the fun with others so rips cards on that uh and you know that's pretty much it i just welcome everyone to to message me with questions 
or, you know, with comments, anything you have, or just shoot me a following, you know, stick with me on the cards that I get in the future. And uh, I encourage everyone to just, you know, enjoy it as much as they can. Awesome. Everybody out there listening, take advantage of reaching out to Adam when you can, because as his collection grows and his notoriety continues to grow, he's going to get busier and busier and he might not be able to be as accessible as he is now. Um, I'll, I'll always try, but no problem. <laughs> and we certainly appreciate him taking time out of his busy schedule to be accessible to us. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Be sure to tune in next time for our fifth episode where we will have another guest, Glenn Colton from Colton and the Wolfman on Sirius XM Radio. Who is a fantasy guru. We'll be talking fantasy football, NFL, just a lot of that football stuff with him. So check out our next episode. I think we'll have it posted Wednesday or Thursday. And take care, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Adam. Rips cards. We appreciate it. No problem. See you guys.